Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew 23, 1-12 Good morning, church. Good morning. Let's uh, click or open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, this chapter in a very significant spot in the life of Jesus. So if you're visiting with us this morning, my name's Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here, and we're glad, uh, I like to say this regularly, we're glad, A, that you worship Jesus, and B, that you chose to worship him with us today. You encourage us, and we hope we can encourage you. You're joining us in a series that we've been looking through the Gospel of Matthew, not every verse. We've been looking uh, at at a glance overview of Matthew and the sections where Matthew highlights the King Jesus and the kingdom of Jesus. Some passages he does both, some passages he does one or the other, but we're connecting them together in this series called Kingdom Come, just reminding ourselves who we serve and what he's trying to accomplish. So here's the caveat for this morning. I'm going to ask more of you in this message than I've asked before as far as listening and staying connected to what we're doing with the text today. This is a very complex message. I'm not apologizing for that, but I need to warn you in advance. If you're a little bit sleepy or the person you came to church is close to nodding off, feel free to throw the holy elbow as you need to, because when, when they jerk, I'm going to think they're nodding amen and everyone wins, okay? So it's going to require a little bit more attentiveness than normally you have to do in an engagement like this, and I hope you'll participate. What I want you to remember, especially for those of you who have been with us in this series, is that I want you to understand that we are connecting the teachings of Jesus. Don't think for a moment that Jesus said, I'll try this, so that didn't work, so I'm going to try this, that didn't work. I'm going to perform miracles, well, that wasn't enough, so I'm going to tell stories, well, now they're not listening, so I'm going to tell parables. No, Jesus had an intention from the very beginning. And if you connect where we began in this series to where we are today, you're going to see that Jesus is a brilliant And the message is consistent. So we are in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry before the crucifixion. On Sunday, he enters the holy city. He's called the Messiah. There's great pomp and circumstance, and people are praising his name. On Monday, he goes into the temple, and he overturns the tables. We're on Tuesday now. He's entered back into the temple, 
They're asking him where his authority comes from. He answers with three parables. They ask him about paying taxes to Caesar. He answers brilliantly about give to the government what the government deserves, but give to God foremost what God deserves. He's asked about the resurrection from the dead so that the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees who were arguing over this, that the Pharisees would be embarrassed by the Sadducees' question. He's asked about what is the greatest commandment. And he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think it's funny that Matthew records, they thought he did well. (laughs) Really? He's so bright. He's so wise and he's so God that of course he was right. They ask him about the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? And David gives them this very intricate, beautiful answer about David and how David even said the Messiah would be his Lord and not his servant. And Jesus turns to the crowd of followers. I want you to remember all the way back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. The cliff note version. If you don't know what the cliff notes are, you're probably lying. We all read them, right? I remember the first time I heard about cliff notes, I was riding to school with a buddy of mine back when, you know, gas was $1.12 a gallon and we were scared we didn't have enough money. And so we'd take turns driving to school and I got in the back seat and I asked my buddy Wayne who was driving if he read for our lit class. First class I had in the morning was this English literature class. And I asked him if he read the book. He said, nope. And then he smiled and reached out and pulled out this little holily inspired yellow pamphlet called Cliff Notes. It told him the best quotes. It told him the plot lines, the major characters. Now, some of you are saying, my kids are in the room. Well, anyway. And so I read for hours. He read for 10 minutes. He got a better grade than me. And I thought, huh. Well, if you want to know the cliff note version of all that Jesus taught, you need to know Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is available. This is what he's saying over and over. He doesn't change his message. And when you hear Matthew 23 today, keep in mind that it is a call to repentance. It's not sending people to hell. What he's trying to prevent is not what he is offering them in that moment. He's not dismissing his audience. He's offering them the same message he's been preaching from the very beginning. In fact, he'll even say in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not be a part of my kingdom. So who are these leaders he opposes and why? Who are these Pharisees? In fact, the word Pharisee can be villainized in the church today. Guys like me teaching regularly. Well, these Pharisees did this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and their attitude was wrong. And those things are probably true, but they weren't all villains. They actually started out in a place and time where they were not corrupt politicians. They were actually defenders of God's will the protector of God's law. They were the ones that kept God's wisdom in front of the people. This was their job. In fact, look at Matthew 23, verse one. Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. He doesn't say they shouldn't be there. He's saying they had a role all the way back to the beginning with men like Ezra when they were taken into captivity And the people were illiterate and didn't understand what was going on, that he would present the law and the promises and the covenantal gift of God to his people. And and the Pharisees served a purpose. So when Jesus said they sat in Moses' seat, it wasn't that they stole Moses' seat. They had a role. And the Pharisees were a good thing. And like everything, they were a good thing until they weren't. Just like you and I can be good people until we aren't. And so in this moment, Jesus begins in the last week of his earthly ministry to do a public confrontation as he did with the taxes to Caesar and the teaching on the resurrection and all of these other moments, Jesus in the last week of his life is with urgency presenting a truth. You see, he says that they sit in Moses' seat. Verse three, 
So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. It's interesting. If they're villains and they're worthless, then why would he tell the people, listen to what they teach? But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy covers and loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. And then Jesus lists some examples of the titles and the the things that they do to make themselves prominent. And then in verse 11, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus from the very beginning does not suffer hypocrites well. A hypocrite, however is not a person who's ignorant. An ignorant person can make a mistake or make a choice that they don't understand the implications of, and I believe in the mercy and compassion of God that's been proven through Scripture. But a hypocrite is a person who chooses, who who knows what they're doing is not right, is not consistent, does not have integrity. And so Jesus is calling out the hypocrisy. But I want to show you that There's a comparison here, and I want you to see what I see. And this is where it gets complicated. And so there's going to be a moment you're going to want to change the channel. Don't. Just stay with me. And I hope I can wrap it up at the end to show you this significance. This is a heavy teaching. And Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 23 by giving the word woe. It's a warning. Uh, One scholar said it's a lamentation of grief. It might be the moment. Michael DeFazio just gave me the best hook for this. He said, yeah, it's, it's the expression, David Platt says, it's like Jesus looking at them going, you guys. It's like a coach who realizes in the middle of the game that everything they've been practicing for the entire week for the game, the players are all of a sudden starting to go back to doing whatever they want to do. And the coach yells out, you guys, come on. You see, Jesus isn't saying you're done, you're out, you're worthless. His message remains the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is available to you. And I'll say this to Christ's church this morning and those of you watching at home. This is not an indictment that you're not in. It's saying to you, you guys, you know better. You know that this is not the way it's to be. And the way I want to present this this morning is I want to take you all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And when I want to show you that in the Beatitudes, you might remember when we went through that text, that this is not things we do to get Jesus' approval. The Beatitudes actually introduce how Jesus brings us into his kingdom in spite of ourselves. That because of our conditions and our circumstances, Jesus brings, he builds his kingdom with people that are to be blessed by him and not because they themselves and in and of themselves are blessings. Do you remember that? <clears throat> you don't have to mourn to a certain level for Jesus to go, okay, come on in. Life makes us mourn, doesn't it? And when we understand the value of the kingdom compared to the value of the world, we mourn for what people are trading one thing for the other. So it's not what we do, it's what he does. And I want to show you that the consistency of Jesus' messages, even in the the blessings of the Beatitudes, compared to the, come on, you guys, of Matthew 23 is consistent, and therein we find our life. I'm going to do this as quickly as possible. Get the holy elbows ready, okay? It's going to take a little bit of attention here. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed because they know their need. Blessed because they're broken. Blessed because they're desperate. Blessed because the world doesn't value them. Jesus said, but I do. And I will bring you into my kingdom. 
Matthew 23, verse 13, the first woe. Woe to you, teachers and law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Come on, you guys. You shut the doors of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You're doing it your own way. And not only are you doing it your own way, you're teaching people your own way. And that is not only preventing you from receiving the blessings of my kingdom, it's keeping others from receiving the blessing of my kingdom. Remember, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. They're blessed because they hurt over sin's pain. They wholeheartedly seek the mercy of God. They cry out for, the, for what's going on in the world. It's not right. It's not good. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The second woe is found in verse 15 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Well, that was nice. So Jesus is not playing here, right? This is how we speak to people we love. Would you agree? If you don't care about a person, you allow their behavior to be whatever they choose it to be because deep down inside, who are you to speak to them? If it's your child, your grandchild, your spouse, your best friend, do you not call it out? Dude, what are you doing? Come on. We know better than this. You know better than this. And wouldn't the church have a greater influence if we loved enough to confront our brothers and sisters with grace and love because of love? If we said to our friends making choices that are not good for them, dude, come on, you know this isn't God's will for your life. I think we know the answer to that. You see, they continue to raise their own significance, their own accomplishments, their own status, They were training people to be like them. And Jesus said, don't follow what they do. So we know that the first two woes show us that not only can we harm our own souls by doing it our way, but we can keep others from understanding the invitation to the kingdom by our example. And Jesus is warning these religious people, your example matters. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who submit themselves to the authority of others. They don't demand their own place, their own time, their own space. They they know who they are and they know who Jesus is. He said, blessed are the meek who understand that it's my power that brings this all together. It's my kingdom and I will fill my kingdom with people that submit to me and find real power. The third set of woes is found in verse 16. It's rather lengthy and here again, this gets more complex. And I know you can handle it. I hope I'm not insulting you. I'm telling you, I want you to focus in on the reading of this text, because it'd be easier to tell you what it says, but I want you to see what it says. Verse 16, woe to you blind guides. Come on, you guys. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Look at verse 17, there's a question. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, another question. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Blessed are the meek, for they know who they are and they know who God is and they humbly submit to him. And he says to you Pharisees, come on, you guys, you're actually creating debates 
about whether it's what's on the altar or the altar. It's about the amount of gold and swearing on the value of the temple instead of the one who's in the temple. Do you see the image? For we Americans, understanding the temple and the altar can be missed. We think this is just old-timey symbols. And Jesus is saying, no, is not the temple, is the temple the temple if God's not in it? No. And is the altar have any value if what's done on the altar doesn't happen? No. So which is greater, the presence of God or the sacrifice that God will alter that coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday before the resurrection? You see, the meek submit, the proud create their own sacred things, their own values. They do it their way. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus said, I will fill my kingdom with those who have a desire for the better things in life, for the things of holiness, for the things that their heart convicts them of. I, I hear myself saying this regularly, Mark, listen to your heart. And that's dangerous, right? Because if it's the fleshly desires and my self-indulgence, all of those things are evil and wicked and they've destroyed me. But if I listen to my heart and underneath all of the wailing for self-satisfaction in a place in this world, I know deep down inside, I want to be loved. I want to be forgiven. And I don't want to be scared of God anymore. Am I the only one? You see, the meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are seeking what their heart's really, truly hungry for. They're not filling themselves with garbage, hoping it'll last through the night. But he says... To the Pharisees, you guys, woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You know what you're doing. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You have chosen to give up the very best things. You're, you're doing meaningless acts of piety because it gets you credit in society. But deep down inside, you're not actually giving God what he asks for. Because God does not desire the sacrifice. He desires the heart that sacrifices. He desires the desire behind the sacrifice. And they had been teaching people that as long as you give a tenth of everything, you're good. And yet he says, you hypocrites. It's not just doing what's right. It's being a person who's right with God. You see, the second two woes not only deal with keeping others from the kingdom... Jesus also calls out those demonstrations of the unsurrendered life. The ones who claim to be giving God what he asks for, but denying what he asks for and giving God what they choose. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is filling the kingdom with people who know their need to be forgiven, to be restored. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. You see, those that are understanding mercy will give mercy. You will forgive as you're forgiven. Jesus told a story, right, about a man who was forgiven a great debt, and then he went out and he couldn't forgive a man a minor debt, and that forgiveness was challenged. The merciful understand mercy because they've received it. Not because they go and act mercifully, because they give what they've been given. And he says, you hypocrites, you present yourself 
as pursuing God and the things of God, but deep down inside, you know you're full of greed and self-indulgence and doing nothing about it. Remember Jesus' message repeatedly, repent for the kingdom of heaven is available to you today. Don't forsake that to try your own way, your own path, to give God what you want him to have rather than what he's desire of you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Those who trust the Lord by faith, those who seek the holiness of God, those who want to do what is right and good and noble because for the longest time in their life, they never did. Those who understand that the things of God are better than the things of the earth, that the flavor of God is better than any taste this world tries to meet. Then Jesus says to the crowd that day, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You see, we talk this way to people we love, right? We're not afraid to say truth because we care. Jesus is not condemning them to hell. He's warning them. They've chosen that. Repent and return. He says, you act like you're alive, but you're walking dead. Death is all over you because you refuse to accept the way that Jesus is offering. This third set of woes shows us what it can look like to think we're alive and dying. As we talked about last week, many times Jesus addresses the outsiders who think they're insiders. He's cautioning. He's challenging. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. I'm filling my kingdom with those who receive the peace of God and then go into the world to bring that peace, that shalom, that that wholeness of peace. It's peace with God. It's being right with God. It's being right with you and me, and it's being right with myself. The wholeness of God, the peace that God brings, the peace that passes all understanding is not just acting, like not fighting is not peace. You can hate and not fight, right? Right? We've all had people who, who say they, oh, what's, what's the matter? Oh, nothing. It's one of the most aggressive ways for anger. But what we're saying is, peace is, I've made, or Jesus has made me right with God, and now because of that, I can love my neighbor as myself, and because of that, I find a wholeness where God is regenerating my heart. In verse 29, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if they had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have partaken with them in shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? He is telling them the path that they're on. I think it's fascinating. I I told you some details at the beginning to connect for you now. We're in the last week of Jesus' life, most likely on the Tuesday, when he's having his public confrontation with all of the questions and assumptions about him. He's not confronting them because he's furious. He's confronting them to get them to repent. And on this day, he looks at this crowd and he says, and you say you're better than your forefathers and you would not harm the prophets. But Jesus knew in that moment that they had already plotted his destruction and they had set in motion the means by which they would take him and crucify him and end his ministry and end their troubles. And he calls them snakes and a brood of vipers. And if that doesn't take you all the way back to John chapter three, John chapter two, three, four, all the section with John the Baptist in there, what did John get in trouble for with the crowds? 
called them snakes, said, you're like your father, you brood of vipers. They didn't kind of dig that. Jesus is echoing the prophet's message to them one more time that they might, the same message John gave, that they might repent and turn to the father. And he's calling them out saying, you are misleading, you are betraying, you are not honoring, you know the choices you're making. You say you won't do this, you've already set in motion the wheels for Jesus' destruction. Verse 34, therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come to this generation. And in the crowd that day, as Jesus taught in the temple, in the crowd that day were 12 disciples. Who should you read the book of Acts this week? And I would encourage you to. Should you read the book of Acts this week? You know what you'll discover? That everything Jesus prophesied here took place. These disciples, standing in the midst of these teachers, would be chased from town to town. They would teach and prophesy the truth of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, the crucifixion, the promises inherent in who Jesus was. They would kill and crucify them. They would flog them in the synagogues. They would pursue them from town to town, and they would end all of their lives. Just like Jesus said. Because they knew how God was building his kingdom and they chose to try to stop it. How does this then compare to the beginning of his ministry? In the Sermon on the Mount that day, as Jesus gathered, inviting people into his kingdom because of what he would do, he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, Jesus' message is consistent from day one. He doesn't change his methodology. Oh, I'm sorry, I guess he does. He started teaching in parables, and he started teaching more directly. He had confrontations, but his message remained the same, did it not? From the very beginning, it will cost us something to follow him. Did it, the Pharisees were cautioned. You're afraid of giving up your place. You're afraid of giving up your reputation. You're afraid of giving up those who follow you. You're afraid of the fame and the power. You're afraid of being honest about what's going on in your heart and soul. The Pharisees were not just a group of people then. It can happen to me. Can it happen to you? Where what Jesus asks us for is really hard to give, but what the world thinks we are is easy to get. I I can play a role as a pastor. I I can make you think so many things. I mean, my goodness, they give me a microphone. They put me under the rotisserie lights, so I must have credibility. (laughs) And the truth is, no, it's the actions of my life. Am I surrendered to King Jesus? Or am I making myself a king in some fashion that pleases my soul and gives me place? The challenge is before all of us. Jesus is not indicting us for the sake of sending us away. He's indicting us that the Holy Spirit may speak because sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us and it's words of sweetness and gentleness and it draws us into great love and other times the Holy Spirit warns us with a woe. That moment when the truth goes out and you realize, I I need to give him this. Not because I'm scared of him. I need to give him this because he's earned it. 
He's my king. He's the lover of my soul. You see, Jesus is not calling us into a life of strict adherence to a set of rules. He's calling us into a relationship of love and and gifting and receiving because we are a part of the kingdom of heaven because of what he did, not what we do. So how we live, the choices we make to put away these things of the world, to live a life that comes from loving God because he loved us first, to live a life beyond self-indulgence and self-importance, to live a life that brings God glory by humbly confessing and repenting of those heart actions that give us a place and deny Jesus his place. It is a hard teaching, but Jesus loved enough to speak the truth and always attach it to an invitation to what? Repent, to return, to change our minds, to change our hearts, and thus will change our actions. To return to Jesus, what he offers. On the Tuesday of the week, he would be murdered. To his arch enemies, because of their own choices, our king offered them a chance, like he does us. A chance to return, a chance to repent. I am not wanting any shame in this room today. If you feel you're being shamed, it's not the message of the scriptures. Take me out of the equation and hear this morning this simple truth. We can live inside the blessings of the kingdom or we can live outside the blessings of the kingdom. The choice gets to be ours today. For who do we live? And by whose power do we live that life? So this morning, we're about to sing a song together, a a song that's a prayer, a commitment to the king. Behind you, if you're new here, are some tables that have lamps lit on those. And some of our uh, eldership or some of our staff or volunteers are going to go back there. Today might be a day that you need someone to pray with you. You would like someone to to journey with you as God is calling you closer to him. And you don't know how to do that. And you don't know if you have the strength. Well, let me tell you, you don't have the strength. He does. It is surrendering to Jesus this morning. Maybe for the first time in your life, you need to surrender to his lordship. You need to accept the blood of the cross and confess yourself a sinner by which Jesus says, I know, I love you, and I will redeem you. Or maybe you're a person who one time made a proclamation of faith, but you listen to the woes and you think, my heart has issues. My obedience has issues. My desires have issues. Don't do that alone. You can't. In community, together as a church, we journey. This is a room full of broken people, amen? Imperfect people who follow a perfect king. We keep that in perspective. Watch what God will do because Jesus is building a kingdom on what he does, not what we do. We're gonna sing this song together. If you wanna be prayed with, encouraged, have questions, as we sing this song, go to the back table. We'd love to meet you there. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.